0: This is the Ignorant Conversations podcast, basically a conversation between two morons who like to think they know things that they don't know about. We're going to be discussing books, and we're going to alternate between the books we read every week. I'm going to start the first week, talk about the book I read, he's going to ask me questions, and we're just going to take it from there. Right?
1: Yeah, sounds about right. Let's
0: do it. Let's get to it. All right. Let's get to it. So, I read... A book called Fever Dream, Fever spelled F-E-V-R-E, Dream, by George R. Martin, who is, I I suppose everybody knows him, for uh, Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones. But actually, why I was interested in reading this book in the first place is because I read his um, novellas, which are also set in the Song of Ice and Fire universe, but they're not a part of the main... Game of Thrones series. And what I noticed was that his writing is much better when he's not talking about Game of Thrones related stuff. Why do you say that? Well, I mean the tone of the novellas are different. They're much more lighthearted and I felt like here's what I think. I feel like this guy is doing I mean he started this project wanting to do it, but over time he I don't think he wants to do it anymore. But he has think to because of the expectations fans have. Like yeah. That's what taking on him. yeah, exactly. I mean he's taking a really long time just to, you know, finish his next book. I, I really think he doesn't he doesn't want to do it. He wants to do other things. I mean it's evident he keeps writing other stuff like the history books of like Game of Thrones or World of Ice and Fire or something like that. I don't know. I haven't yeah. read them. But what I noticed was that you know when he kind of just changes the tone, he kind of writes what he whatever he wants to write. I felt like it was just a better author. I mean, the quality of the books, in my opinion, in the main Game of Thrones books, uh, they were kind of going down with each book. Anyway, so I started reading this book, and apparently it's one of his earlier books, and it's about is is this before? Was it like, uh, they had he written this prior to that? Yeah, yeah this is yeah. before. This is uh, one of his earlier books, I think. Basically, the book is about vampires on steamboats in the 1870s, South USA. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a pretty interesting setting. That's why. I mean, I'm not, like, a big fan of vampire... Um... Or steamboats, I imagine. Well, what's wrong with steamboats? <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty cool, man. I mean, what
1: what do you what do you mean by steamboats? Like boats that use steam engines?
0: Like is that what it means? Yeah, they burn uh, coal or whatever and use the steam to, uh, you know, they have these big wheels on the side or in the back at the back. Yeah, okay, I I got what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's like it's about those things. All right. Yeah. So basically, uh, that's the main premise of the book and. Uh, just like, it's not your typical, what I liked about it is because, I mean, look, this whole vampire thing, I think the Twilight books kind of really put a dent in the public perception of vampire stories. It just kind of became this young adult slash corny teenager, you know, fathom, but it, it's it's not that. I mean, I mean, if you read like Dracula, the, the original story. Yeah. Right? I mean, it has a little bit more substance to it. So what I liked about this book, it does play a role with the uh, classic vampire stories and borrows from that a little bit and kind of twists it. I mean, um, what I can relate it to is... uh, Are you familiar with the Witcher stuff? Um, Only through the
1: Netflix series. I haven't read the books.
0: Alright, that's fine. But... Uh, What I'm gonna say is, is like, you know in The Witcher stories, and I don't know, I haven't watched the Netflix series, but at least in the books and the game, what happens is they they like to play on uh, misconceptions people have about, like, monsters or creatures or whatever, and just kind of play, like, have a twist on them. For example, there's this one character in The Witcher, and he's a vampire. And uh, they start asking him questions like, yo, what's up with the whole garlic thing? Right? Is it true that you guys uh, you know, are scared of garlic or whatever?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and he's like, no, actually, there was this one guy, there was this one vampire, and he was you know, uh, eating, like, hunting a lot of humans and drinking their blood and whatnot. And uh, he noticed, like, one time, he noticed that he went into a house and there was a lot of garlic in there. I'm paraphrasing, by the way, so I might be wrong, but it went something like this. And uh, he ate the, you know, he drank the blood of that human, and it tasted great because of the, all the garlic that was laying around. So what happened was he, um, he purposefully <laughs> spread a rumor <laughs> that you know, garlic is like, you know, drives us away. Yeah, that's so, not bad. Yeah. yeah, so he's just like seasoning. Uh, he tricked everybody to season the food. in in a
1: way wait so is this how george r martin writes it or is this from the witcher
0: this is from the witcher but uh, it has similar elements in in the sense like there's an idea of vampires in the world in that uh, fever dream world and is when he so the guy the steam owner the steamboat owner uh well the steamboat pilot i guess Mm -hmm. captain yeah he's a captain his name is abner marsh what's his name abner marsh okay Right, so the story is like this. This guy he's had like some misfortune of late. His like there was some winter and all of his steamboats got messed up. But this mysterious man that only hangs around during the night by the name of Joshua York. He's like Hey, I have money and I wanna own a steamboat, we can do business together. You'll be the captain and I'll be the one funding everything. I'll be with you. I would also love to own a steamboat. My only thing is, you don't ask about my business. You don't ask about my habits because I have some weird habits. You just do your captain stuff, and I'll be there. But just don't, you know, mind your own business. He's like, all right, deal. And this is how the this is how the story starts. Yeah. Right? Joshua York, the vampire, Abner Marsh, the basically the main character of the book. Mm-hmm. Now. I suppose uh, we shouldn't really go over the whole storyline. I mean, that's going to take a long time, right? Yeah, just uh, give us
1: what you loved about it, like, and how it's different from, you know, what we've come to expect from George R. R. Martin.
0: All right. Yeah. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is the unprof- unprofessionalism we were talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the main uh, the main themes of this book because it's set in Confederate States slash South Southern USA before the Civil War. There's a lot of parallels between slavery and uh, vampires in the book. So just,
1: the way their vampires are treated at that time.
0: No, in the sense that so the main vampire guy, let's let's just call him the good vampire yeah his name is Joshua York, who becomes Abner Marsh's friend right uh, He is for integration of uh between vampires and humans because what had happened was he he had grown up around humans, and the biggest issue that vampires have is what he calls the red thirst, which is once in a month or something kind of like a werewolf, I guess, but not really, doesn't have anything related with the moon. They have this, like, incredible, incredible urge to drink blood. Okay? Uh, So this guy had grown up around humans, um, and every month he would just get the red thirst, and he would become completely irrational, and he would kill a human being and feel horrible afterwards. He would feel really, really bad. And in order to... he tried a lot of things to stop it, failed many times but in the end he was successful in making like a drink a potion and made if you drink from... that sorry uh, is it like made from animal blood or
1: something like is it a substitute for human blood exactly
0: it's it's mm-hmm. it's basically a combination of stuff that he experimented mm-hmm. on and if you drink that you don't get the red thirst
1: wait i got a question though uh i was wondering so the vampires right this is in the age of slavery and during confederates States existing. So vampires were they predominantly of a specific race? They're described as being really pale. White. White. Yeah. Do you think there's some like metaphoric, you know, like there's some symbolism there?
0: I don't really think so because he discusses the origin of vampires, like where they started, and he kind of discusses like the. russia or maybe slash eastern europe area a little bit so i think i think he was just hinting that the first vampires were kind of from that region which is i guess yeah. a callback to like dracula or something wait so in this book do how, how do
1: you how does one become a vampire
0: they just reproduce
1: already oh, there's mm-hmm.
0: no like biting and then letting go and something mm-hmm. along those lines. No, 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 no 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 there's nothing like that actually that's a big that's a good question because what in the book uh, a big issue is that there's not many vampires left. Mm-hmm. And Joshua York is like, uh, I want vampires to integrate with the human beings, and I want every every vampire to drink this potion, this drink that I have. Yeah. Uh, he talks about like the history and how because of this red thirst, they're always. Lagging behind human beings. I mean, human be. I mean, they're apparently older than human beings. But since they were created, let's say, human beings, they started civilization, cities, and vampires are just kind of like hanging in the background, drinking blood and killing people. So he's talking about how we haven't progressed. We have to integrate, uh, get rid of this red thirst. It's kind of like you know the elves. There's also a similar thing with elves in, in fantasy. In which book? Well, I mean, in general, there's a fantasy trope that elves are, like, older creatures. They live for very, very long periods of time. Yeah. They're immortal in the story. They're
1: expert at, like, mining and craftsmanship. And if you, choose, you want something to kill the evil being that should not be named, you must get,
0: you know, an elfin sword or an elfin hammer. Yeah, yeah. Our actually dwarves too. Dwarves are, are like the master craftsmen. Yeah.
1: It's, it's something to do with like the ability to create something monumentally strong is inversely related with how short you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: that is true. true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Imagine like a like a, what's the politically correct term for uh, a, a a human dwarf. Uh, a little person. A little person? Yeah. I mean,
1: why a little, man? They're all,
0: they're all persons. They're all no, people. But you got to think it like that. You know,
1: like, um, it's, I think it's sort of like, you know how sometimes, like, I, I don't know this is this is the correct way to say it, but you know, sometimes you meet uh, people who are short, uh, who are much more charismatic and funny than mm-hmm. a lot of people who are tall, and I think mm-hmm. it's just because uh well, the way it works in our society in our world is that you know your height like the taller you are it's something it's seen something is like you know it's considered more handsome or right, like, yeah. easier to you like i read this study once that said they did a they did a height survey of all the ceos of fortune 500 companies and it turns out that on average the ceos of these companies were about six inch taller than the average american so it mm-hmm. kind of shows that we as people sort of like respect height or like we give leeway because we think there's more commanding or more charismatic simply because of their stature. So I think that when somebody's short, you know, they have to compensate for that lack of privilege, let's say, that's associated with height. And you have to come right. up with things like you got to be more charismatic, you got to be funnier, you got to be more entrepreneurial because you got to make up for that loss. Right. And if you're really short, like a dwarf, the only yeah. thing that really worked was coming up with these like monumentally strong, like items that would be required by these tall heroes. <laughs> you see, so,
0: that's the that's the messed up part though. Dwarves are like different species. I mean, you have a bad man. <laughs> now, even <laughs> the dwarves are gonna be like, dude, you're not like one of us, you know? Like, that's that, fair, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, because yeah, like, uh, That's just
1: the politics of height in the medieval, you know, fairy tale land. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you no, know, walk us through like the climax or like, you know, I don't know,
0: key like tension points and the rhythm. Okay. So here's the thing. Now this guy is for integration. And yeah. then I'm gonna introduce this other character. His name is Julian or uh, yeah, Damon Julian or something. So this is called yeah. Julian. Julian New York. Okay. York's the good guy, Julian's the bad guy. Julian is like oldest all, all this time I guess. He's really, really old. Uh, and he doesn't want integration so long story short at one point what happens is York gets Julian and his vampire buddies and he gets them on the steamboat and he's like alright the steamboat is called Fever Dream by the way it's uh, there's a Fever River apparently where Marsh is from so Marsh named it after the river and he called it Fever Dream that's a sweet name actually Yeah, and actually it fits really, really well with what happens to the steamboat, which I will get to. Um, So they got on a boat, and they have this really interesting conversation. So, York gives them all the drink, you know, and he says, all right, no more Red Thirst, we're going to integrate, blah, 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 blah. And then Julian goes on a rant uh, of sorts, and he talks about how he, he talks to Abner Marsh. He says, look, Abner. When you eat a steak or a cow or a sheep or whatever, I mean, you just look at it as food. You don't think of it as anything else. It's like the natural order of things. You don't feel bad for it. It's just food for you. And uh, similarly, that's why vampires, apparently it's a common thing, vampires call human beings cattle food. He says this is no different. For me, you're a cattle. You're my food. Me. I don't feel bad when I... Get... The parallel is, as far as I can see, with the slavery situation, yeah. is we can equate Julian to slave owners. To yeah, racists. Okay. Like right? Yeah. As far as they're concerned, uh, the black people were inferior. Kind of something not even human. So, I mean, it's only natural for them to enslave them and put them to work or put them to use as they see fit. So York loses that battle, and he is forced to abide by Julian's ideas. Uh, Whatever there's like this blood thing going on. If two vampires can face off, and if you lose, you got to do whatever the other guy says. Like this is your kind of your, your obligation, your duty. Uh,
1: basically,
0: so is that done uh, like that obligation?
1: Uh, they ensure that someone falls through that due to honor, or is that
0: like magic that you have to? Like, uh, uh, what happens is they do like a stare down, if you put it simply like that, it's a stare down. They just look at each other's eyes, uh, but what, the, the, it's not as simple as that because how these vampires work is they're incredibly charismatic and they. Can influence the, the way a person thinks. So much so that if you hang around them a lot and they're really strong vampires, they can just convince you to give them their blood and you wouldn't even object to it. You would think, yes, this is what I have to do. This is the good thing. This is the right thing. So there's kind of like this mental control yeah. slash yeah, battle going on. Yeah, uh, And if you win that, you will become the Bloodmaster, as they call it. And you have to offer your own blood, the loser. Uh, yep. and the, the other guy drinks it. And so he becomes the Bloodmaster. Okay. Julian wins this battle. Julian wins it, and he wins it more than once. It happens a few times in all the story, but yeah, he does. Uh, one thing I'd like to note out, by the way, is that in... In one part, there's a description of New Orleans. And I love that description. It it talks about how beautiful it is on the outside, but kind of there's something rotten, rotten on the inside. Uh, I mean, you have all these beautiful houses, beautiful streets, right? Beautiful people, I guess. You know, rich, sounds, spices, money. But something feels incredibly wrong inside. Something feels incredibly rotten. Uh, I, th- I think I felt that for people sometimes. You know, you meet a person and they're maybe attractive, or good-looking, or charismatic, or whatever. But you kind of just have this really bad feeling when you're around them. Kind of like a gut feeling. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm following you. Yeah. And I, I just love that description. I mean, and the thing is... Gut feelings can be very important, right? I mean.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, sometimes, you know, what do you call it? You, it's sort of like instinct. It
0: is. It's like a survival. it's like a evolutionary trait. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking the same. Right? Like your ancestors they felt something was wrong and they kind of just like they just had this bad feeling for some reason. Yeah. I I guess which is caused by what like there's some Subconscious analysis of like the environment and it causes this bad feeling Reaction and if they follow through they leave maybe there's danger Maybe there's not but if there is they live but if a guy doesn't have that uh, And just or just ignores it walks into the yep. danger gets killed Survival of the type of thing right fair enough. Yeah, it paid to be risk-averse. I imagine.
1: Yeah, exactly
0: so yeah,
1: I, I I had that.
0: That description of New
1: Orleans was great. Uh, and he describes it like perfectly. It captures that the essence in such a way that you know you felt like as yes. if you were there and you felt that feeling as well. Yeah, I, I did exactly. It it. I went mean, he's a phenomenal writer. You know, even in like I've only read the first four books of A Song of Fire and Ice, mm-hmm. but uh, as opposed to the Game of Thrones show. I really, really enjoyed the books. They're amazing. They're really yeah. yeah.
0: And some people don't like his writing style too much, but I find it great. Why is that? Because it's detailed? Or is this too much world building? Uh, Well, I mean, look, you can't hate somebody's writing style for world building, right? That's like not in the writing itself. That's like a part of his structure. Yeah, but fair enough. He writes it as something else, right? I mean, I mean there's this other like, writer's fantasy writers. Maybe Patrick Rothfuss. I think I discussed it with you a little bit. I hate the story. It's just how he writes it is so well. It's so flowery and you know, it uses pretty language. That's a skill on its own.
1: That's a skill. Like, I
0: respect that. I admire that, but like, God. You know, that's God. almost kind of what we're trying here, isn't it? I swear to God. Except you don't even have flowery language. You don't have anything going for us. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, back to the story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Back to the to Wrap it up for us now. Man. Oh, man, in
0: so Julian. It turns out he's old as hell. Okay, he's really, yeah. really old. In fact, he's so old that he's outgrown the red thirst. He doesn't even feel it anymore. Uh but he still does what he does kind of like, it's like an identity crisis. Right. Right? I mean, you've been doing something for so long, and now you don't need to. You don't have to do it anymore. He just kind of feels like he has to. I mean, and and, and he... In the book, it describes, for example, York reads a lot of books and newspaper and, and whatever and whatever. And Julian has a big library, but he doesn't read. He just sits there in the dark and doesn't do anything. At all. doesn't even think. And I, some York, friends. I mean, the thing is he has had friends. This guy is like thousands and thousands of years old.
1: Yeah. But he's, he's just seen and done at
0: all. He's seen and done at all. And York says I think he wants death. He wants death. He wants an end." But the problem is, I mean, and he voluntarily, in the book, he makes decisions that puts him in danger. And he's a very smart person, and yet he makes those decisions. For example, he keeps Abner Marsh on the steamboat once he takes over Julian. And everybody knows that's a stupid mistake, because Abner's like a very resilient guy. Brave. And the script is very ugly. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can... Got demonetized for that. But he's described as one ugly man. Some people call him the ugliest man on the river. Yeah. <laughs> he's like this big, fat guy. Yeah. And he has, like, warts on his face. Yeah. He, his nose is like, like imagine if somebody, like, he, if his nose looks like, imagine if he ran full speed, nose first into a wall, and his nose just kind of got, like, flattened. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so. Where was I? Yeah, so this guy wants death. But what happens is every time he puts himself in a situation where death might happen, his survival instinct kicks in. He's like this old, old, old beast kind of rises again. Uh And just kind of gets him out of the situation. So he's in this loop of trying to kill himself. But whenever he gets close... You know, he doesn't let it happen. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I mean, again, let's compare this with the slavery idea. If Julian is a slave master, right, represents slave masters. Mm-hmm. All right. And, I mean, you got to think about it. Yes, they were racists and horrible people, but they were human beings. They've of them at least. One slave master in history must have felt like what I'm doing is wrong. Yeah, but I guess the financial
1: gain was too much for him to...
0: Yeah, or just kind of not being a slave master suddenly anymore Yeah, is kind of like, well, then what am I? Am I going to be accepted by everybody else? Am I going to be... I mean, imagine if I mean, if Julian just said, "Hey, I don't have the red thirst anymore. I'm all good, man." Well, the other vampires who still have it, slash the other people who still own slaves and want to own slaves. Yeah, they're gonna be like, "Well, what the hell are you? You're no different from those Northern Yankees or something." You know, yeah, we get what I'm saying.
1: No different than these other vegan vampires. <laughs> 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 Uh, That's really what it must be. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being like a ten thousand year old vampire? It's going for your meal, and then like this freshly turned vampire comes up to you and he's like, "Think about their feelings. You're (laughs) snatching away (laughs) babies.
0: That's exactly it. That's your York is the biggest hipster of all time. Right. Yeah. York is like the first and the he's like the epitome of a hipster vampire. Think about fair your enough. feelings, man. Let's, let's all get together, man, <laughs> yeah. and make love, man. It's not a war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, man. Oh
1: man. I gotta eat. Wait. Wait, I'm wondering something. I'm wondering something. So, like, you know, you gave a fair analysis of. <laughs> I don't know if we should call it fair. Like, nothing against you, but just. <laughs>
0: attempted at a an, an
1: analysis. Yeah, of like yeah. the book itself, and you know, right. the time it was set in. And uh, also George R. R. Martin's writing style in mm-hmm. that book, and um, we have spoiled a fair bit. But I'm thinking if like that's sufficient, should we discuss it any further? Is our I time I is running mean, on or should we wrap it up?
0: I think there's more to be said, but, but uh, is there more to be heard? Oh, okay. yeah, and, uh, Now, man, that's a that's a matter of philosophy, my friend. I can't answer that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, one thing I'd like to point out, I think, is the name of the steamboat, Fever Dream, and what happens to it. Now, Abner Marsh has this obsession. There's this bigger, there's this really big steamboat called the Eclipse. And he has a, the steamboats used to race, apparently. And by the way, if anybody decides to read this book, you learn quite a bit about steamboats.
1: That's definitely a plus.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a plus. What I learned was, uh, apparently, you know these guys race? And uh, you know, if you're like playing a racing game or something, you have like the nitro. You know, you click that, and it just kind of gives you a boost.
1: Yeah, stable, right? So, like that.
0: Yeah. Apparently, they use
1: lard. <laughs> 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 I swear to God, they have tubs of lard. You
0: know. Is that historically accurate? Or is that fiction? I I think it's historically accurate. I mean, it makes sense. It burns faster or whatnot. You put like fat, for fat, in there. Uh, it's very interesting anyway so he has a dream of one day making this boat and he does it and he's like I'm going to race the eclipse and I'm going to beat the eclipse and this is like he he constantly repeats that how he's going to race it and beat it and also that's on Abner's side for York he describes the vampires as because they don't have death they don't die they're immortal uh, their means of survival, kind of is the way they live, is they feast on life because they don't have a life of their own. I mean, they don't have death, therefore they don't have life. Julian, he, he describes quite frequently how it's not just any bloody drink. I mean, he takes the youngest possible, right? The one that is full of life and full of life ahead of him. Or her. Uh, and that is what makes it better. That's what, what he strives on. And York says he, because that's because he doesn't have a life of his own. Right? He lives on that. Yeah. And how everything they do it results in death, right? They, in, because of their red thirst, somebody has to die. Now, York says that he wants to create something. Something beautiful. Not destroy it, not take it. As Julian does and that's, that's his idea of the, the way he perceives fever dream, okay? Yeah. is the creation of something beautiful, something full of life that does not result in death.
1: And that's the main schism between the two in the story.
0: Yeah, so, and, and Abner is his, that's his dream boat. He wants to race the eclipse. Now the race between fever dream and eclipse never happens. And oh, wow. fever dream as a boat kind of ends up well, not in very good place. It it ends up very poorly. Let's just put it like that. Yeah. yeah so I like how the name fever dream, it, like their ideas of their idea, their perception of the steamboat, is an actual fever dream, right? Right. I mean he never races the boat and gets the glory of winning the race. And yeah. I suppose you're I never. That though,
1: because up till that point, you know, you'd given only enough away of the book that I was interested in reading it. Mm-hmm. But now that I know that the race never gets fulfilled, it's just, it's too much to it's begin not- to read. All right. So why not? It's, it sounds like quite the book, to be honest. Um, and I, I wonder, though, you know, in the beginning that you mentioned that because of the Twilight Saga, there's a certain, say, like uh, a certain stereotype that we've come to accept, expect from vampire stories and movies of the sort. And I wonder mm-hmm. if reading this book will sort of cleanse that vampire uh, stereotype palette, so to speak. So, I mean, I'm interested in reading it. But I, I I don't know if I will, because I think I know too much of the book. But nonetheless, it sounds
0: it sounds quite nice. Overall, uh, great story. Uh, the characters are very well written, in my opinion. There's lots of layers to it. I love the descriptions. Um, love the themes, love the setting. Love the twists. Um... That's all a plus. The minuses, maybe some parts, some bits can feel a little bit much, especially regarding the descriptions of steamboats. I mean, a little Yeah, I mean, look, you learn quite a bit, and and it it functions well as it it kind of puts you there, and. Yeah. You really understand the way Abner Marsh's mind works, and and at some parts it is incredibly, incredibly well written. Like the way he looks at certain steamboats and how they, it looks good to him, and some right. don't. That's real good, but some bits is like when it's written objectively, like as the steamboat is wa- like 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 say, well, it doesn't walk, it doesn't stroll, going down the river. Yeah, um, I got. I understand. Sometimes it can feel like, okay, I get it. It's just it's just going down the river.
1: Right. So, so what would you read it out of 10?
0: Out of 10, I feel like a strong 8. Yeah, that's not
1: bad. That's, yeah. That's enough. A strong 8. I'd read it then. Like, if you're going to rate in an 8, I'd consider reading it. Yeah. Is it should. a long book? It's a novella, right?
0: No, it's not a novel. It's a novel.
1: Oh, okay, all right. Yeah,
0: so you might wanna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, I, I think I'm just gonna use this review and uh, that's gonna be sufficient for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I mean, well, so it's, look, here's if you're a fantasy, if you if you like fantasy, if yeah. you like uh, vampires, I guess. But it doesn't, it's what not do a vampire know? story. If you like fantasy, this is a good yeah. one.
1: All right, fair enough. Thanks, dude. I think we we had a great time. Thanks for telling us about this book. Uh, My pleasure. uh, Maybe, I think, for the people listening, perhaps if you, because, you know, this is sort of uh, improvisational, and this is just two friends discussing books that we read, uh, Mm -hmm. we'd appreciate if anyone left any comments on any ways to improve what it is that we're doing or if there's any yeah. book that you want us to specifically talk about uh, but bear in mind that we only really talk about it for like 40 percent of the time and other times it's just yeah, <laughs> around still, things that yeah. we're discussing yeah. but know that if you want to know about the height privilege and politics of elves in the medieval time this is definitely the only podcast
0: that's discussing that oh yeah dude by the way we can have like an entire episode just like let's about. do it Dude, I'm, like, I'm down for that. I've read, I think I've read enough fantasy to, to get into it.
1: <laughs> you know what? That's actually, that's actually quite nice. I'd like that.
0: Let's do it. Really? Yeah. I, I think we can take the... Actually, the Witcher books, they have quite a bit as far as height politics or stereotypical you know, perceptions of dwarves and elves and whatnot yeah. going on. It's quite what a bit I'll of racism. We, if, we, if
1: we do decide to do that, I'll make sure to read a couple as well. So just so I can, you know, play devil's advocate.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah well, and too, uh, for next week, I was, you know, as we mentioned that we'd be alternating books every week. So next mm-hmm. week, I, I read this book recently. It's called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. <laughs> oh. Yeah, by Nir. I, 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 it's actually quite interesting, you know, yeah. uh, and it's basically about how most of these companies these days like how exactly do they ensure that you keep coming back for more which is what we're hoping you all will do um <laughs> and, you know this is a podcast about books and we'll discuss all of them as much as we can uh so let's see may if non-fiction fares any better than today's fiction
0: podcast oh yeah dude let me tell you something bro anything yeah. will fail fair better than this <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe the self-deprecating humor.
0: two dogs barking on the mic, and it would be more yeah, interesting.
1: Maybe if we can get some self dep- you know, maybe this self-deprecating humor will gather a few people. Uh, uh, All right, maybe. I guess that's it for us to start. That's it. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mubin. It was a pleasure.
1: Likewise. Likewise. All right.